Hi, this is Mike McNamara, and you're listening to All Marine Radio on your home for it, the one and only All Warrior Radio Network. So it's Thursday. Everybody knows this might move till Wednesday because I have some scheduling issues, but uh, it's Thursday. So the Mensa brothers join me uh, from McAllen, Texas. Tim Lynch uh, joins me. Uh, Tim, how are you? Doing fine, Mac. How about yourself? I'm all right. All right. You sound good. Uh, from uh, Southern California, Jeff uh, Kenny. Jeff, how are you? Good, Mac. How are you? Uh, I'm all right. I'm all right. I'm all right. I'm all right. And from uh, Kansas City, Kansas, just outside, a suburb actually, Will Costantini joins us. William, how are you? Great. Three inches of snow this morning, and it was all gone by 2 o'clock. Yeah. <laughs> You know that picture looked like kind of the entrance of uh, Vito Corleone's house in uh, in the movie. I'm not sure if you uh, noticed that, but I did. I thought, "Wow, who knew?" Will, yeah, all these years, you didn't pick up on the armed sentries either, did you? No, I did not. <laughs> I did not. Hey, I have, to, I have to tell. I have to tell you. Uh, last night, Tim. Uh, Lynch came uh, uh, was part of a group that has already been through the post traumatic winning seminars, and uh, and and talk about um, you know to me there's leadership and then there's leadership and uh, and I just want to uh, recognize Tim um, because you know the first time we talked about you know you know his homeless period in his life um, kind of took me by surprise I didn't know what to say but. Um, <clears throat> You know he's uh, he's he's open about it and um, the impact of uh, on the people in that group of hearing his story and then my roommate at IOC when I was a lieutenant uh, Tim McMahon talked about being sexually assaulted three times when he was young and to hear um, men talk about these kind of things because we normally don't do that is uh, you could see the effect it had on people and so I just want to. I just wanted to say again, you know, um, how proud I was of you, Timmy, last night. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and to me, that's uh, that's true leadership. It's easy to be in charge when you don't have any, you know, you don't have to go to places like that. And uh, and the impact that you had, I know you couldn't stay around because you had someplace else to be. But uh, the impact of, uh, of what you said on the conversation was uh, was uh, was amazing. As you know, and, and you know, and let me tell you, there's people in this class that have been raped, that have, you know, had to give up babies uh, when they were young, uh, and they're ridiculed by a parent because of it. I mean, just stories are, are brutal. You know, social workers having to, you know, bribe little kids, you know, with uh, ice cream so they can get a urine sample to test it for semen because they've been raped. Three year old, right? Oh. I mean, just oh. stuff that you. I mean, but to hear, you know. You know, men talk about, you know, difficult things. Um, and we were talking actually about the, you know, the problem of, of when you're ashamed of something that happened to you, how difficult it is to talk about it, you know, and how important it is. So uh, I just wanted to uh, I just wanted to recognize Tim uh, for that and just say how proud I was to call you my friend last night. And uh, not that I'm not proud all the time, uh, but... Uh, but you were you were outstanding last night. Congratulations. Well, well, well. Thanks, brother. And I'm sorry I had to go to class and not not stay for the whole thing. But I want to remind the audience I was an awesome homeless guy. 
So, I mean, it's not that hard. I mean, shit. I did homeless right, you know. But you played it off, though. That's the impressive. <laughs> that's the that's one of the impressive parts about uh, about the whole narrative was uh, yeah. your ability to do it on the down low. Yeah, it, yeah, I, I was. <laughs> yeah, when you're embarrassed, you can stay on the down low for a long time, brother. It was, uh, but I'm glad I'm no longer there. Yeah, well, to say. no, I mean that's uh, that's you know, but again, the example you set. You know, for other people that, hey, and, and, you know, you talk about the key to coming out of it is beginning to talk about it, your problems, begin to deal with them because, you know, while you run and while you, you know, bury them, um, you tend not to do that. And so mm-hmm. that's really the message of the night. So, mm-hmm. so well done. The, um, I want to talk about the, uh, do the third installment of, uh, of the, uh, 15th Mew. Um, and so, I, I, I've had a question in my head, and I'm not a Mew guy, and so I, I just want to I want to throw this out because I've been thinking about it because my worldview, both in Iraq and Afghanistan, is from uh, the operations perspective, being an operations guy. So, uh, so I guess so the the the, the BLT COC is not going to control the track movement. To the Somerset, but the Somerset is in charge of ship to shore and then shore to ship. S- correct me if I'm wrong. Somebody in the Somerset CIC has got to be accountable for an item on a checklist that says safety boats. Now, it was briefed in the confirmation brief that what. Well, refresh me. What was exactly briefed in the confirmation brief that they would just have the one boat? Was that right? Briefed? Summer Somerset had two boats. They briefed in the confirmation brief they were going to put one boat in the water, and that one AAV would act as a safety boat, which is in accordance with the order if that AAV is identified in advance and is empty. So that was briefed. Okay, so that was. But it brief. was not. It was not. It was. I don't believe that it was briefed that the requirement is two, and this is a mitigation because we don't have two official safety boats. But it was briefed that they were going to have two on the ship-to-shore movement. It's not apparent in the investigation that I can tell what the construct of the shore-to-ship movement was going to be, I believe everyone assumed that it was going to be the same. One Somerset boat and then one AV. But okay. it all got fouled up the morning of anyhow when Somerset couldn't put, couldn't put a boat in water. Okay. So the reality of it is, so, I, so that was a brief. So they launch in the morning, Somerset can't put a boat in the water, and then according to the finding, according to the finding of facts, the um, the Amtrak platoon uses its one track that has Marines in it, contrary to order, as a safety boat. And 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 so to me, right? If Somerset is in charge of ship to shore movement, how does that not get detected? If our boat can't get 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 in the water, right? So I've never. Well, was there anybody uh, interviewed in terms of? Uh, yeah, I understand the requirement, and we we waived it, or we just didn't address it. Yeah, I don't. 
I didn't read all 1,746 pages, but it's not apparent from any of the finding of facts that I can remember that any of them reference an interview with any of the blue side people on some right. It's a big hole association. Exactly. All right. So let me. So now we go from. Now we're. Now we're. On San Clemente Island, we're getting ready to move back out to the ship. We make the decision of who's staying here and who's going. And so Somerset's still in charge of the operation, going from shore to ship. You know, request permission to go feet wet or splash, whatever the fuck we're calling it, and in route. So nobody in Somerset's got an execution checklist that I know. I know we're not calling brevity codes for this. But in my execution checklist, in terms of, you know, preparing the ship to receive these things, that's got to, I would think that's got to be an item. It's got to be addressed. And yeah, in, I, would, I would say when, when they're set in condition one alpha to receive AAVs. How many? Yeah. A subset of that condition one alpha is safety boats in the water. But there's no, yes. indi- there's no indication for the findings of fact that I saw that says, that because the, the the reference I see to that is the platoon commander said I assumed that they would right. Go, right. That's the only reference to any kind of so there's no discussion about the safety boats. Not not that is apparent from what I read in the investigation. Got it. Got it. So so we we brief a plan. We don't execute the plan we briefed in the morning. We know that because we're ops guys. Now we're, they're coming back. Right, we know the plan fell apart in the morning, and nobody nobody asked a question on the way out. Yeah, and yeah. and th- this is not an excuse at all. Here's how I see it happening. You know, they had Reveille at three o'clock that morning. They got their major event. They kicked everyone out. Then they're doing ship's business. Then they're doing flight ops. Then they got to do this, and. There, there doesn't appear to be a hyper-competent individual on board Somerset. The CO, the XO, who is typically in charge of that set in condition one alpha, the ship's first lieutenant, the CIC watch officer, none of them seems to be competent in the requirements and says this is violation of the, uh, of the order, and then determine who has the override on that. It's not apparent that the Fibron commander got a vote, the Mute commander got a vote, or the CEO of the Somerset even realized that he had to vote on that. They just went along uh, in their ignorance. And, I mean, I think General Money's investigation will show incompetence. So in the world of the one-question court-martial and the Navy's you know, always been famous for this, right? You were in charge of that ship on that day. How does that guy? How does that guy not get relieved quickly? Yeah, it's uh, it's hard to imagine. There's just a lot of missing stuff in the investigation right. pertaining to the Navy, and I think maybe the fact that Lieutenant General Mundy is going to be running this one it allows them to to uh, buttonhole the Navy a little bit more and find out, you know, what happened. You know, the other thing about having Lieutenant General Mundy is uh, general officers we have that are involved, you know, as far as giving the MU the equipment readiness uh, level that they're supposed to, 
you know, he could get to that too. But the uh, the, the inner service uh, relationship is not to be ignored because well, that's the well, big hole in the investigation. Okay, you know? so let me ask you guys a question. Let me ask you guys a question, and, and that's and that's a great. And we've kind of addressed this before, but how does how does the Marine Corps knowing what just happened that we did two investigations with the F-18 KC-130 thing, right? How do we not commission, how do we not send an investigation forward that's going to have a ranking officer that can do all of this to include, um, you know, talk to, to talk to members of the United States Navy? How, yeah, how, I, I mean, there's, there's a couple of things you could say. Item one, uh, if the investigating officer knew that he needed to interview the Navy and they wouldn't be interviewed because they're doing some other, then that should have been noted as a difficulty in the investigation. That's one of the things you put in there. And if the GOs in the chain of command knew that, but for some reason politically didn't want to cross swords with the Navy, well, fuck them. Yeah, there's a lot of, like, um, detail about the Marine side of this thing. Like, I mean, even though some of it's... Uh, doesn't have a beginning or or an after part. Like the XO of the BLT shows up somehow, and he jumps in the water to help pull a guy out of the water. And like, I, I couldn't figure out how he got there, you know, and what happened afterwards. So, but the big thing is, uh, yeah, I assume he came on a helo or something when they're doing uh, helo ops or whatever. But uh, the uh, the Navy's part in this is the big glaring missing, uh, you know, the big glaring missing part of this. I think. Yeah, and, and again, if um, and I don't, I don't know, uh, you know, the, the MEF commander has got a Navy counterpart, and Marfor Pack has got a Navy counterpart, and you would think that two gentlemen that have served more than 30-something years would understand pretty quickly after reading that investigation that their, that Navy Part of it is a gaping hole that needs to be addressed. And before that investigation can go forward, those holes have got to be filled in. But they're not filled in. And so that just leads to speculation as to why they weren't filled in. And it, it's troubling. Uh, if they weren't filled in because the Navy was intransigent, well, now it becomes a common on the Marine Corps issue. Right. If they weren't filled in because... Uh, the Navy becomes intransigent and we didn't want to push on it. Well, again, what an indictment. I mean, there, there's only nine dead guys, you know, no big deal. We want to maintain good service relationships. Or I don't know, but right. it leads to that know. speculation. There's nothing more complex and more difficult than doing amphib ops offshore because uh, it's unlike anything else you do in the Marine Corps where common sense isn't the only factor. The, uh, you know, we had, uh, two Fibrons getting ready to, uh, to go ashore at Camp, uh, or at uh, Onslow Beach, and then neither one of them would give way as to who was going to put their people ashore first. We had to get on the ship to ship. We had to, we had to get a hold of, um, the chief of staff for the ESG that was nominally in charge of this particular, you know, group of ships, and she had to make the decision. Uh, you know, who was going to go ashore first? Even though everyone was sitting there within a couple hundred yards of Camp Lejeune, you know, we, or, you know maybe a couple thousand yards of Camp Lejeune, we, it could not be done because the Navy was in charge of that. 
and, uh, you know, had to exercise uh, other means to get it done. And, and I'll tell you what, it sounds like there's some kind of catif cliff going on here, you know, on a, on a small level, but, you know, that uh, what happened as far as the Navy goes. And the fact that both those boats went in the water at 1830 means – they weren't as messed up as supposedly that the, the, the reason why they couldn't be used, you know, for the splashing and for the recovery. Because they both went into the water, according to the investigation, if I'm not mistaken, by 1830, when it was all OB. Right, and the comment, you know, and I think in either one of the opinions of the findings of fact was they were never requested, if I'm not mistaken. Right? Which is an irrelevant statement. They're, they're not required to be requested. Well, I know that, but yeah, I'm just saying that, that I read that there. I read that in the investigation, either in an opinion or findings of fact, and it, it's yes. just, and, and so I want to double down on a troubling observation of Wills, and that is this investigation gets released, and simultaneously with the release of the investigation is not the recommendation that will form, we're going to have a second investigation. Right. Based on what I've seen, I'm not satisfied, and we will have a. You know, I've requested the Commandant of the Marine Corps, you know, to launch a second. I, I didn't. If if that if that happened, I didn't see it. So this this investigation. So somebody somebody thought this investigation would suffice. Mm-hmm. You gotta be shitting me. Well, I, right? I and it, think you know, that the Navy is doing some sort of an investigation. That doesn't. But but again. I know you're gonna. You're already bob, bobbing your head in terms of that. Does not absolve the Marine Corps, right? Absolutely. And and so mm-hmm. to me, that's troubling. You know. So yeah, General Monday's going to do it now. What? Because you know, you know, a bunch of congressmen, you know, and and a bunch of families started crawling up the Marine Corps' ass and stuff. But to me, you, you talk about troubling. There's no Navy part of this investigation, and it was released with no with no endorsement by the Commandant of the Marine Corps saying. I've read the investigation, I blah, 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 and I've appointed General Monday, and that goes out as one package. I mean, that's, that's troubling. So yeah, and that's, that's the thing. I don't know what path this thing would have gone. Investigations normally don't go to headquarters, you know. Uh, this one may have. And if it did, it's an indictment on the staff there. Because if it went to headquarters and it went through PP&O, so you've got, a colonel who works for a one-star who looked at it, then a one-star looks at it, then a colonel who works for a three-star looked at it, then he ships it down to the assistant commandant's office, the colonel who there reads it, and then the assistant commandant reads it, and then it goes to the commandant's office, and the colonel who works there, and then the commandant reads it. If it did no, that, and none I of think, those people said, yeah. hey, we got a big hole here. I think the investigation was briefed to the families, and that didn't go well. And that might be... Some of the reasons for this stuff. But, but again, know, again the, the troubling part, though, right, is so all the professionals saw it and said, I guess, yeah, yeah, this is all we got? Yeah, and that's the thing. I mean, we know these guys, the MEF chief of staff, the MEF commander, the deputy MEF commander, MAR4 PAC, deputy MAR4 PAC, chief of staff out there. Those guys are, you know, they're 30-plus-year guys that – this should have occupied a certain level in their priority list of the whirlwind they deal with every day. And it is, to me, to you, to Jeff, to Tim, I think to a bunch of people of the 17 who listen to us, probably nine of them, yeah, it's a big freaking gap. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it just, again, the fact that it wasn't addressed until families were unhappy, um, it's, uh, it can, it just leads to speculation of motivations. Yeah. And yeah. none of those speculations are good. Right. Mm. You know, um, I'd be curious, what do you guys think of, of, you know, Timmy's suggestion that for Class A mishaps, they ought to go straight to pros, I don't know where, at, at headquarters Marine Corps? But having a colonel whose job is not investigations to do this, uh, an investigation of this scope, I mean, it, it looks like for the second time in a row in a major mishap, it, it, it hasn't sufficed. Uh, your thoughts on, on Tim's, that this ought to be, you know, under the IG or a three-star at Headquarters Marine Corps. They run the, he, he or she runs the Special Investigations Unit of the United States Marine Corps that investigates these kind of mishaps. Thoughts on that? Yeah, you know, there's there are no unemployed or underemployed general officers, Right. So the idea that you're going to take a three-star out of the headquarters to do that, it doesn't exist. And, and you know, I'd like to walk in Colonel Fredrickson's shoes because I got a feeling he started going down a path and now he's in the forest. And the guy put together, you know, a massive investigation, interviewed, you know, dozens of people, LTIs on the vehicles, and he may have just been in the case where he couldn't look at the whole thing Right. Maybe that's why he didn't see this. Or for all we know, he was told certain things are verboten. Um, so the idea that there are people in the headquarters that got nothing better to do than this, and granted, it happens, what, every couple of years. That being said, there's no three-star that can go three months TAD to do this. You know, to bring someone in from the outside, uh, you couldn't you couldn't pay their consulting fee, you know. I mean, you couldn't yeah. pay mine. I guarantee that I'd be the highest paid person in the Marine Corps for my hourly to do this. Uh, yeah, but look at look at what you got. Tell me it wouldn't be worth it in the end. If if that's you know this investigation is going to solve a whole lot of the problems, like it or not. Yeah, it is. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's it's not going to be perfect. Um, I, I sense that eventually we're going to get to accountability in the Navy. Um, but the way this was done is going to solve a whole lot of problems. Unfortunately, the horses are out of the barn. And, you know, the Navy's went to the water for the first time since last summer this week. And uh, you can bet dollars to donuts what they're practicing first. You know, they're yeah, I, I read an article. Yeah, I read an article uh, about you know they're they're going now. They're, you know, we, we talked about what a few weeks ago. Uh, yeah. w- will there be a Rother brief? You know, now as you composite, go through all the accidents, and that was one of the things that got mentioned. They were going, they were reviewing all the accidents that have happened and and going through lessons learned before they did any any, any training. You know, back to Timmy's point. So, will you you don't think? That headquarters Marine Corps with a Class A mishap unit that reports to a three-star, you know, and that way you have three-star juice when it comes to this kind of stuff. You don't think that's you don't think that's a, a viable. You'd have to carve out a separate organization. It couldn't be a matrix, right? It'd have to be people 
sitting in an office with a go bag ready to go. Yeah, you know, you, that doesn't exist in the IG. It doesn't exist in anywhere in the headquarters you, or you even need, in the bloated oh, bureaucracy of Quantico. It yeah, just doesn't I see, exist. I see them every couple months put together special force magtas here, just like on the East Coast too, and f- to do this and that job, you know, um, and they could do it. Be it would be a higher um, caliber, but less numbers wise of what they're doing now, and uh, and you know. It would be uh, – it's a pain in the neck, and, and something suffers when you do that. Because like Will said, there's nobody just hanging around waiting for something to do. No, I was, but, I was thinking more like retired guys, like like you and Will specifically, um, not necessarily active duty guys, using the same mechanism they use to bring the general, retired generals on to do the war games, whatever, whatever that mechanism is. Yeah. Oh, they they still could, Tim, but you couldn't pay the hourly, I'm telling you. Uh, dude, just because you just because you're doing good on the poker table the last couple of weeks doesn't mean doesn't mean you're going to yeah, get that. Doesn't mean, you're good. Yeah, doesn't mean I mean, I've got a better idea for you. How yeah. about if people understand their orders, execute to standard, be leaders, do all those things that we say are our core competencies? How about we just do that stuff? Well, I mean, call well, me crazy. Well, well, no, it's, you're it's, not crazy, but but. But we're just going back with the AAVs to doing what you two were doing 25 years ago, you know. But, yeah. but and, now, and that's new. That's trouble. Okay, let me. So let me. Attention in detail for sure. So that's what the rather thing, though. I, yeah, I would carve. I would carve it out because, I mean, as you said, once every couple of years, right? I mean, the bad press that the Marine Corps gets and the way it looks. When these things come out and they're not done well, right, is, I mean, as you, let me tell you, the most troubling observations, you know, of this whole thing, you know, belong to you, Will. You know, if those families don't feel like we've taken care of them, then shame on us, right? Shame on whoever, who, who, whoever's letting the ball fall through on that. That we can't bring their kid back, right? But we can do right, and we can't do it by the fucking numbers, and we can own it when it makes us look bad, and the worst people can say, say is they fucked that up. But they did it right, and they, did, and, 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 and they didn't shy away from it. Yeah, but so let's go a different way. Uh, the investigation is the purview of the commander. If the commander fucked up the investigation, then we don't have the right commander. I mean, as a battalion commander, I don't know how many investigations we did. Fifty? I owned every one of them. I signed the endorsement on every one of them. If I wasn't happy with them, they went back. If there was a typo on it, my adjutant got lit up. I mean, the commander is is responsible for everything the unit does and fails to do. And I want to be a little bit careful because there's a lot of good commanders out there that don't need some, you know, parachute force to come in from headquarters Marine Corps to stick a microscope up his ass. He should be doing that himself. He should own it himself. And if we think that there's deficiencies in this investigation, then that should be addressed with the commanders involved. And they shouldn't have the crutch of, well, you know, I was busy and I didn't have the expertise. All those things are in the investigation that allow you to go after that kind of thing. And you need to exercise it. as That's what it means to be a commander. 
the sacred responsibility. So if this so so if this was communicated well. to General Rudder, this is a one meth investigation room, right? Under the guise mm-hmm. of Marfor Pack. So if this is communicated to Heckel and Rudder, then those guys should be fired. I I don't know what they should be, but they should own it. All right. Right. I, it's just been, it's, it's, a, it's a bad trend in the Marine Corps, bad investigations. I want to, I want to, um, I, I want to make one more comment. So I was looking for, I was mute, I was talking about this whole operations thing I have in my head and the message traffic and somebody on the Somerset with an execution checklist and, and, and knowing what should happen if people have their heads in the game and they're professionals. And so when I went to put it, the post online, I went and got, I got a copy, a picture of the Somerset, and it's from, uh, let's see, aft of the ship and off the starboard side, so off the starboard right ass end of the ship, looking into the well deck with the well deck sunk and open and, and open for business. And they then, might call that the starboard quarter. They do? All right. Well, I will defer to you, the our nautical expert. And if you and if you don't think he is, you know the little soliloquy he went on about a sloop, a gunship, and some other a frigate and something else last week was something you missed and you should go check that out. So, Will Cosentini, all things nautical, in spite of living in Kansas. The um and so, I, I remember the finding of fact that said the aft lookout had to be removed because. Because of flight ops. And so I'm looking at the ship going, there's at least 16,000 places that you could stick an aft lookout that are not going to interfere with flight ops on that boat. You've got to be able to see, and if it takes two guys, right, then put two guys out there. But to not have an aft lookout is a fucking joke. And you're looking at the ship, and you could put them up on top of the superstructure. You could put one on the port side, the port side or the starboard side. You could put them forward of the ship. And if you needed somebody to look out the ass end of the ship, you could put somebody on the catwalk, right, near the first well, lieutenant. There's a booth. There's a booth right there on the uh, port side of the uh, of the well deck by where the, where the uh, ramp goes down that you can just watch from out there. So, so I don't know what they're talking about. All right, that makes it fucking worse. That, that's how they control a lot of the, uh, you know, the the ballasting. So and the same, so the same kind of little half glass booth that is above the flight, the flight deck on the backside of the of the I'd call it the island, but it's not the superstructure of the of the ship. There's one on the uh, on the on the back end of the ship for well deck ops. The same it thing. depends which class it is, but it's either it near the near the midships looking outwards, or it's at the actual um, near the actual opening. Okay, I'm going to look at the I'm going to look at the picture of the Somerset right now and tell you if I see it or not. The I do not see it, but I see a catwalk in there. Yeah. You, so, so my point is whether whether that's there or not, and and. You guys would probably look at it and go, Mac, you dumbass, it's right here. Um, but I'm not seeing it. Um, my point is this. To say that, you know, we couldn't have an aft lookout is bullshit. You know? What do we have to do to have the aft lookout? That's the question. The other, the other point I would make is this. 
novices, right? Every time we do this stuff, there are novices involved in this, people doing it for the first time. And, you know, I think we've all had the experience when bad things happen and you don't think they can happen and you don't think you have to go by the numbers and you don't think you have to fucking drill it, then you are messing with fire. You are messing with fire. And I don't know how you instill that with people in people when you're doing life and death ops. But, you know, it's it's I think it's disturbing. I think it's disturbing. Yep. All that stuff's, like, true that you just said. And uh, it's like when there's a flight problem, they check everything from what the how much sleep the pilot had the night before. Most of it's irrelevant to what actually happened. Right. And most of what you, you're talking about is irrelevant to what actually happened. That fucking AV was flooding because of fuck-ups with, uh, that they made and putting stuff together with the thing. And it was above the level where they should have evacuated it and the guy didn't the guy who was supposed to know that either didn't know it or chose not to and when they finally did choose to panic set in they couldn't open the hatches because they weren't drilled and open the hatches they weren't familiar and so they drowned and all that other stuff that we're talking about it's true it all happened it's true they should have had a better you know grasp on the safety boats and shit because that stuff sure as hell didn't help you could have had somebody who knew what he was doing come up on a safety boat and say, hey, motherfucker, open those hot hatches or something like that, or get them open earlier. But they didn't. So they're going to go through this whole dick dance of uh, doing stuff with AEVs again, and, and, and they're out there swimming now. I mean, I can see them today at Del Mar getting out there splashing a little bit, and they're going to go through the numbers, and there's going to be a thing that you got to sign. Uh, that uh, your guys did egress training, and they practiced opening the hatches and locking them down, and they had established cohesion with the AVs, shit they should have been doing already, because it was a nightmare to me to think about having an accident, just like when we were going to do a live fire, all four of us. We're fucking paranoid about our guys shooting each other by accident or about some kind of screw-up with inflating fire, you know, making sure things shift when they're supposed to and all that stuff. That's stuff that's, you know, in our mind. Apparently, those obvious things that could go wrong with AV, you know, was not in the mind of these guys. Although, from now on, just like you said, Mac, with the Rother thing, it will be, at least for a while. When you look at, and again, you know, this part of the the discussion, when you look at this many glaring errors in leadership, in technical knowledge, in basic fucking training, what do you say to this? That's the million-dollar question. Because we know the people involved here. These guys aren't, aren't schmoes, you know. That, I, how, does it get, how does it get to the state where this is almost considered uh, the way of doing business? Forming up a mule like this, and I'm asking an open-ended question because I don't know. Yeah, I mean, there's obviously a lot of uh, complacency with these guys, both on both blue and green, um, and uh, and they paid for it. But uh, where did it come from? Where did it come from? Say, you know, you when you read the investigation, all the briefs are in there. You know, the payment brief and. <clears throat> And what I wrote down two words, massive and complicated. And to think that I used to be pretty good at this stuff, but I looked at some of those briefs and 
getting that Fibron and all those Marines out there and planning whatever couple of weeks of exercises, it is a massive, complicated endeavor. Yeah. And, you know, at the, at the command level for the Mew commander, um, there is no way that he knows all the details. If he did, he'd be insane, right? Yeah. And when you have those massive, complicated operations, um, again, when it takes a 60-page brief, that's pretty big. Um, you've got to have competence at every level. Um, you know, and I, I got a foot in both camps here. Uh, this thing could have been redeemed by the proper action of a single crew chief. Not a doubt in my mind. Right. But he was set up for failure. Right. And he was set up by failure for failure by all kinds of people. Yeah. So um somebody should so many times on both blue and green, somebody somebody should have said, Whoa, that's not how we do this You know, on a, on a bunch of different levels. Everything from the safety boats to the what do you mean hey, the Marines are going to, the Marines are splashing, we gotta fucking we gotta honcho that shit. Because we're going to get blamed if something goes wrong. I've heard that exact quote, you know. And uh, they, they're there when you fucking get ready to go back. And you don't go back until they tell you that you can. Because it's their fucking yard you're going to. It's their real estate, you know. And uh, and then and the Marines, the same shit with the, uh, you know, with the AVs. That fucking crew chief, I know they know. When, you, when that water is that deep, you're fucking out of there, man, you know. Yeah, but you saw the article that Timmy said. He said, "Look, I mean, that kid said we all they all leak no, waters. They they all yeah. suck." And and so I, I hear I, I hear much water though, Mac. That's right. wet oh, wet wet. You know, uh, wet flooring in the AV. It's always soaking wet in there. It's all water dripping down and shit. But it's not that's standing water. That's right. Right. No, and, and again, I I just uh, to me. So what does this say about the institution now? Um, yeah. So, I mean, is it, is, again, I go back to the discussion that Dave Furness got ridiculed for two years ago. People were, three years ago, were indignant that he said we weren't disciplined anymore. And he was drugged through the street for it. But I'll tell you what, I don't know, you read the, the, the F-18 investigation, we, you read the snippets of, of the endorsement, that you know, Will and I, you know, and I got from the the one that goes down off Camp Lejeune, and you read this one. I mean, it, it, what does it say? I mean, and you look at what the Navy's gone through. Is this the new, you know, United States military less disciplined? Well, and it's and it's interesting too because what you know what's a natural outcome of this is risk aversion. Uh -huh. We have a new standard of risk. The new standard is called abundance of caution. For an abundance of caution, we're going to lock everyone in their homes for a year. And we're going to wear filthy pieces of paper and rags over our face. We're going to do all abundance of caution. Well, you can't do military operations under the abundance of caution. And so what you have to have is experienced, professional, stand-up people. Because in a very professional unit, 
say, first LAR in the summer of 2004, been in the field for three months. We were very good on any given day. We were as good as any battalion motorized mechanized unit in the entire world. On any given day, we could kick one in the grandstand. And we needed leaders at every level to be making sure that we weren't doing that. Leaders that knew what the basics were, that knew how to assess risk and identify risk and mitigate it in advance. People that knew the SOPs, the orders, and that had courage to say no and also courage to say yes. Right? Yes, there's risk, but here's our mission. And we properly mitigated, then we're going to go. Um, and and that's what it takes. Um, so I'm a little I'm a little wary of what might come out of this. Is a completely risk averse, which only means that we're going to fail when we get to the ultimate test. Yeah, but yeah, so let me let me just. There's a checklist that everybody had to hand in to the section leader before they splashed because yeah. of other incidents like this. So when you enact yeah. those kind of rules that, like you're talking about, and you become risk-averse and you do things that are cover your ass, no. motivated, right? And, and what, what, what is the finding of fact? He said they, yeah. they gave, but he couldn't find them, which means what? I would, I would question whether, you know, anybody ever yeah. turned it in. And I just I think back to, to you know how we used to operate in Iraq. Every vehicle had to have a manifest that got handed into the COC before you went out the gate, and you would request permission to leave. And the COC watch officer, if he didn't have the manifest, would say no. That that wasn't a cover your ass. That was a we got to make sure we got accountability, and here's how we do it. And that meant that we had people running out of the back of LAVs into the COC, handing in their manifests. And the guy in there, counting them off. And you, as that serial leader, would say, you know, I got 14 vehicles and 59 souls outbound. And that guy would count up, 14 vehicles, 59, check, clear to depart. It's not that hard. In fact... That's everybody we, going in and out all side or anywhere, for yeah, sure. we could launch, you know two, three companies at a time in a matter of minutes. You could do the same thing here. It's not that hard. Well, what's happened then? Because I don't know. What's, since 2011, last time I deployed, you know, I, I got off active duty in 2015, what has happened where you see the multitude of errors from the small unit l level to, you know, order reading, supervision, brilliant in the basics, Right, all of that, no, 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 no. And then you get to mid-level leadership, the people that, at the, in my opinion, at the 06 level count on when you're, do, as you said, doing these kind of complex tasks, fail, 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 fail. And, it, and it's not like in that investigation it was a rare thing. So it's a cultural problem. Have we gotten soft? Have we gotten undisciplined? What's what's the priorities? What what priorities were those units dealing with in your run up to these to these things? I I don't think I want to know, but I've got some guesses, and none of well, them have COVID to do anything. One. COVID was one. COVID was one. Border deployment was another. Okay, and we've got. Uh, I, I'm sorry. 
it seemed to me that we're, that no, we've got downsizing too, right? We've got a lot of activity, a lot of friction being injected into the force from on high. Friction, friction, friction. There's no decrease in deployment cycles that I can detect. So we're not we're 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 we're, we're downsizing the force. We're we're giving up legacy equipment. We're focused on all this bullshit. Yeah, but let me ask you this, Tim. What does that have to do with my job as a platoon commander to make sure my guys are trained and know what the fuck I'm doing? And if I'm not ready, have at least have – what rank were you when you said, no, we can't do this, Will? Major? First lieutenant? Yeah. Out, out in the desert. What rank were you when you went through all that and people got pissed at you and Greenwood loved you? Oh, I was a major, but I was I already had many scars before that. Okay. I mean yeah, I had scars when I was a lieutenant. They just say hey, we can't do this. Right? So I Tim, I agree, and again, the border deployment, yes. But I think there's a leadership answer for every one of those if I mean if you have your head in the game and, and you're you're hard working, hard hard nosed guy. I don't, I don't doubt it, but but it wasn't like like the four of us were all that special. We were just decent officers. This isn't shit that we had any problem figuring out. And the guys that are there now, the ones that I do know, pretty decent officers. What what's what's got their attention? Why why are we having this conversation? You're talking about that's the, the, that's the question. Why are we having this conversation? Because well, it happened. So it's happening too much. It's like a, you're worried that there's like a malaise in the Marine Corps now. That, I'm worried there's too much. There's too many things. Too much other things compete for people's attention. Yeah, where the Marine Corps is like not as good as it used to be because the, they've lost uh, discipline at at most of the levels, and um, and you see that as the. Uh, the main reason for this and a bunch of other accidents. Well, you know, I'm, I'm asking, Jeff, because, again, I've watched what the Navy's done, right? And, yeah. I, and I've seen them struggle with discipline in this modern culture that we, we live in where, you know, everybody's got feelings and all that shit. And yeah. have, have we well, – I would agree. Uh, if you were saying what I said, right. I pretty much agree. And I'll tell you, I think there's a lot of distraction. There's a, the focus is not on the main thing. The focus is on a lot of other stuff that's not the main thing. Like, we just went through this thing where I watched these guys down here get a class after class about, uh, about white ring, white ring, white, uh, you know, white supremacy and all this shit. You know, and it's like, uh, and you look at their faces and they're like, they're trying to do their best, you know, they're trying to understand what's going on, but you know, they're, they're, they can see right through it. It's just bullshit. And, uh, and, and the COVID thing, I think, was a big, Shocker to everybody. I mean, the most basic stuff that you would do at that muse, sometimes classroom shit, you couldn't, we couldn't do it with them. And, uh, I know that the, the muse CO wasn't a guy who would fall prey to that, but, uh, I can't speak for everybody underneath them, you know what I mean? And, uh, and not only that, I, the Navy, they were doubling down on all the, uh, you know, the, uh, restrictions and shit that came with, with COVID back in the, uh, you know, when it, when it first reared its head. And uh, if something came out like you need to do 15 days, they would make it 30 days. And so the Mew is struggling with that. And uh, it, it's not an excuse, but it's an exacerbation I never had to face in any level that I was ever in, you know. And so I would just say that uh, if you're saying that uh, there's an issue with uh, people having their head in the right game, I would agree. 
Yeah, but, and and, and at what point? At, at what point do we say somebody from on high say the mu's not going to go out? We we can't get this thing up and trained properly given our current restrictions, I mean, I, and we're I, just not going to go. I wouldn't say that about these guys. I no, no, no. I'm, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I, when we we've never said that. We never say that about about deployments. But it seems to me there's a lot of things competing for people's attention. I don't understand why we're talking about this, given the quality of some of the guys that I know that were involved with this thing. You know, this is stuff that we had no issues with because we were focused on it. That's what the whole division was focused on: was getting the muse out, and uh, there was nothing else you, yeah, you had that's, to yeah, but, with. You know, can, remember can, the first time Will and I got hooked up with our AVs and we started doing. Ops, when I was a second lieutenant and he was a first lieutenant, we did a NEO, um, the first NEO we ever did, and we fucked it up because it just looked bad. Because we're stand, the men are, the troops are standing around, not really knowing what to do. The role players at, were acting like Kent State, you know, rioters and shit, you know what I mean? We, it just looked ineffective and stupid. But the next time we did it, and we fucking knew that, the next time we did it, we developed all kind of shit. Like, if you're a troop and you don't know what you're supposed to do, get down and face outboard. And if you're fucking, if you're uh, acting like a Kent State rioter, you're going to get flex cuffed. You know, we, we learned quick, you know, because we were into it. So these guys, the first time they got, they worked at the AVs in the water was this time. I wonder how they looked. I mean, and they had bizarre, um, at sea periods. Like, they're, they're too, their last two at sea periods were joined together, so they're actually on ship for like six weeks. And you throw in all that bullshit with the, uh, you know, having to be, you know, quarantined and stuff. These guys were, it was like they're on deployment without even leaving Southern California. It was a relief to finally leave, you know. So uh, it was very, that part was bizarre. I have to say, my guess is they probably were a lot better by the time they deployed, than the way they seemed looking through the investigation, which happened at the first at sea period. Actually, the beginning, I think, of the first at sea period. So, you know, it's. Uh, I, I have to tell you though, um, I kind of agree that we got a we have a um, we got a problem service wide, and it's not just our problem; it's everybody's, and and a lot of it is the focus is not on uh, what it should be. It's not on Operational excellence. Operational excellence, yes. I mean, a lot of that has to do with COVID, but a lot of it, too, is the way this uh, force design thing came at the Marine Corps. No one really knows what the idea is behind this thing. There's all this weird shit about guys, 16 to 18 guys being <coughs> on an island somewhere with a missile. You know, it's all kind of nebulous and shit like that. We're gonna, the only thing we know for sure is what we're getting rid of, tanks, sniper rifles, you know, um, you know, the weapons company and shit like that, you know, so it's like, the, the you know, everyone's kind of like, um, in a, we're not in our best, we're not in our best state. And one of the things that should have been at best, because it virtually stayed the same, was the Muse. You know, the Muse were, are the same. It's a, it's a, you know, it's a command element and three MSEs, and then they work up with the Navy, they get pretty good, you know, and off they go. But, uh, it's obvious that uh, you know that, that that wasn't the case in this in this thing, and they're the first ones to deal with the COVID stuff. Um, you know, and it wasn't. So I much think, Bill Jeff, I think that's a I think that's a separate issue, and and my own opinion is 
you know, I think you and I are, are, are somewhat in agreement here. There is a problem inside the United States Department of Defense, and it's a discipline problem. And um, and I'll tell you what, uh, when you're driving ships into each other, you know, when when you can't figure that shit out, when you when you're doing this kind of stuff, you know, you you have to look inward and say, what are we fucking doing? How could how could so many mistakes happen on the Fitzgerald? How could so many mistakes happen on the on the on the McCain where guys are drowning in their bunks at night? Are you shitting me? Right? Yeah, yeah. And then and now and, and, and the same kind of mistakes are here. The same kind of mistakes happened in the KC one thirty F eighteen thing. And you're seeing it over and over and over again. And again, it's not the PFCs and Lance Corporals, as we talked about. They will be whatever the fuck we train them to be. And so we got trained. We came into the Marine Corps. There was a no fuck around event, man. You know, I remember Marty Brantner riding around Margarita when I went with Jeff and I were Fifth Marines. You know, and you know Colonel Brantner at the time. He had two Navy crosses. Yeah, he had two Navy crosses, and, and I mean he's hobbling around Margarita with most of one of his calves shot off, right? Every day in his red silkies, right? They were hard asses, man. You didn't fuck around with those guys. Those Vietnam guys. I mean, they were cra- they were crazy, no fuck around dudes, man. And I don't know if we become too nice and too soft and not mean enough anymore, right? The, People the, are afraid of being. Well, I think commanders are afraid of uh, exercising rigorous discipline because they think they'll be uh, they'll be command climated. Out. Well, let me tell you, and that, that's to me what somebody's got to somebody's got to look at that kind of stuff because you know the first statements we used to make were the way we lived, right? And you know, raking dirt, painting rocks, putting up the gunny's ropes, that all got us ready to go fight in Iraq and Afghanistan, in my opinion. You know what it was? It was tension, attention to details. It was clean. You know, you could eat off the floor most of those fucking places because that's the way we did it. It ain't that way anymore. And I don't know, when you begin to come off those standards, when you don't field day, when your staff NCOs aren't up there hanging out, drinking coffee, and shooting the shit, when you don't inspect it every Friday, when you're not doing that stuff, and then you think all of a sudden you're going to go do harder shit. That is the that is the weight room for discipline and leadership are those kind of things, and it ain't so much anymore. It ain't so much well, anymore. And I would so, say, you know, we'll tie two things together here. Think of the reaction of the Roosevelt. There was no commentary about Roosevelt's ability to keep station, operate his flight deck, etc. It was all about COVID. Yeah, huge distraction, and. If one of the answers to this is more from on high, well, good units are are not good because the commandant wants them to be good. Good units are good because they want to be good. They want to be disciplined. It's got to come from internally. People need to recognize that. Um, and emphasize it, right? And emphasize yeah. it. Because let me tell you this. It, but But if the only message... Right? What's the most important thing in the Navy in the last year? Don't be the Roosevelt. Yeah. Even if the Navy was thinking, hey, you know what, we got some screw-ups, McCain, Fitzgerald, let's get it fixed. I mean, the damn cartoon eagle that the Navy uses as their icon has got a paper blue mask on it, on all of their official publications and stuff now. That's the message. Don't fuck up COVID. And COVID is the least threat yeah. in the world to the Navy right now. Um, 
And if, 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 yeah, again, a mew in the beginning is a soup sandwich. It's a bunch of people that don't know each other. They just got thrown together. There's a very deliberate plan to generate that cohesion. You rely on certain of it before chop and then every training event. But if that thing has gotten, you can't see it because this misty cloud of COVID to get there, you just added another complication on top of an organization that might be questioning what they're doing, see force design, that people maybe think that they're more competent than they are because of the enemies that we've had for the last 20 years. Um, you know, I, I think me and Jeff were talking about this. I think Tim would attest to it, and you probably would as well, Mac. You know, when we were lieutenants, you had to figure out how to train. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. During the entire war, there's not a lieutenant out there that needed to figure out how to train. That's Someone right. Someone gave them a 172-page checklist of PTP requirements. Go do them. If you do that, you're good. Well, you can't do them all anyhow. So everyone knows we're gun decking it from the start. So, and those, think about it. The uh, second lieutenants of the march up are the battalion commanders of today. That's right. And and what should happen, maybe instead of a flyaway investigation team at headquarters Marine Corps, is a what the hell did we do in the last 20 years, team? Who are we? And spent six go. months, no kidding, figuring out this is what we were, this is what we actually are, and started bare metal. Get rid of the mythology and everything else and give that one to the commandant and give him, this is your Marine Corps today. Yeah. Demographically, training, emotionally, et cetera. And I'll just throw, I'll throw one other thing. I mean, because, you know, the Marine Corps has got this acronym called BAMSIS, right? And mm-hmm. uh, the sixth step in troop leading is called supervise. Okay? The first five don't mean shit if you don't do six. Okay? And so, to me, if you have a discipline unit and you have guys that will supervise and, and, and be in overwatch and, and make sure that shit happens, that's mm-hmm. that has been the consistent recipe, you know, in Marine Corps history of how we can do – Right, something with nothing forever. That's how we do it. We're good. We're, we're disciplined, and we supervise. We have leaders that will stuff it through, or will say, "No, we cannot do that." And Will's a, a, a great example of that. Well, I don't know. Well, that we, I don't know that we have that anymore. And that's my question. If you look at these investigations and you line them up, the in, the indicators are too prevalent across the board. Across the board, and I would and I would I would add to that the impact of the pack order, okay? Which yes. is our staff I, and CEOs is a huge thing. Our staff that and CEOs believe thing. that they cannot withstand an allegation because the officers will not support them, and so they have they they have pulled back. I'm not going to lean on people. I'm not going to be the asshole. I'm going to show up and I'll do my job, but not the way that you and I were used to the Marine Corps. When our yeah. staff and COs, and they ruled the roost. Yeah, that worked its way down the staff and COs and the NCOs, too, the pack order. It's like a, it's a, a fucking unholy, uh, you know, 
problem for sure. And, but I, and I'll tell you, back when we were lieutenants and we were good, corporals and sergeants were empowered in, in, the, in the infantry. When I was a second-class petty officer, the equivalent to a sergeant, that might as well have been a seaman. It was no difference whatsoever in the Navy hierarchy of things, right? It was irrelevant whether first class, second class. And the Marine Corps back then, a sergeant was somebody. He yeah. had he had juice. He had authority, and uh, and he was supported as were good corporals. I don't. I haven't been around for twenty years. I don't know what's going on now, but I know that it was a big damn difference about being an enlisted Marine and being an enlisted sailor. You know, big difference. Well, and again, and if you don't, if, if that question doesn't get asked coming out of this investigation, when you stack the three that we've recited repeatedly on this, where you see the same things, where see, you see the same lack of attention to detail, didn't read the orders, didn't supervise. If you don't ask that question, right, then you're not doing it. One happened in two meth, one happened in one meth, and one happened in three meth, yeah. right? And so, to me... You know, what you said, though, about... Uh it's not the sergeants, not the corporals. You're right. It's not those. It's not the corporals and the sergeants, the staff sergeants, or the lieutenants. You know, it's not them at all. They, they will, and I, I see these guys every day, and uh, I've watched them instruct and everything like that. They're very good. They're very good. You know, they're. Uh, they just need to be. Uh, they sense, I think, that there's a distraction above. Mm-hmm. You know? There's there's a distraction above, and that should be the next investigation. The distraction above investigation. What, it was what, a good idea there. It's like uh, maybe that's an idea for a, you know another podcast. Is like, uh, you know, if we if we recognize that um, we need to back these guys up, and we need to you you lieutenant do it, plan and execute in your own training. You will learn how to fight by doing that. More than going and showing up at Twenty Nine Palms and being told, "Okay, here's your ammo. You guys are going to attack, uh, you know, the you know range four ten alpha, and uh, you're going to fuck it all up, and then we're going to critique the shit out of you, and you're going to feel like shit afterward, wondering what the hell you did, you know." But the idea that you set your own shit up and do it, you will learn, you know, you'll learn a lot more that way. And remember, if that's that used to be the whole difference between IOC really and the basic school for us was not only do we learn how to actually do large and small deflection changes on a mortar. But we learned, you know, that it was we, the onus was on us to train our guys. You know, it wasn't like we just went somewhere and, and waited for someone to come and train us. Yeah, that, that, all that is a byproduct of, of the MUs. The MU training cycle, the MU, the pros from Dover's come in and train the MU. Everybody wants to go through the MUs. And, again, when we were lieutenants, right, and we went, oh, got that's ready. That's how it is, the MUs, though. Well, the, 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 the MU guys do is... They'll do some instruction, like when you talk about VBSS and stuff like that, but how to do that raid, how to do that, you know, who's going to be the assault element, all that shit, you get a fucking cheesy class, and it's the same thing, you get a class, but that's up to you, company commander, to make your guys be able to do that shit. But when we were lieutenants, we put ourselves to the request, right? Which, yeah. who, who's going to do the night attack? Who's going who's to teach, you know, company in the defense? And we did all that as lieutenants. It was on us, as you, and to reinforce your point, Jeff, it was on us yeah. to do that, right? And, you, and if you were going to be good, you know, you had to be good. You had to bust out the 6-4, the 6-5, whatever your reference was, and you had to go and you had to make sure you drilled that shit. And so, but again, I think that's the investigation you know, that to me is, is 
what environment have, has been created that that begets these kind of investigations repeatedly? What, what, and, what environment is that? And and that goes back to what Will said a couple of weeks ago when he brought up who's responsible for 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 having these families, uh, for taking care of these families, for being proactive, for making sure that we did right. Who's responsible for all of this? And and I'm and I'm telling you. I think that we've got, this is, this is another thing where I'm going to hammer on the commandant's office, because what's his focus? This very strange, we don't know if it's a great idea or not, because we don't understand it, reorganization of the Marine Corps, which we did spontaneously when I thought his job at the top of this organization was to manage the equilibrium of the organization. Because you want, you want in, when you get deviant behavior in an organization, you want it on the right side. You want it, guys like Franz Geil bringing bicycles on a ship and turn it into a machine gun carrier. That's the kind of deviant behavior you're trying to create, not the kind of deviant behavior where you just gap off basic safety issues and uh, and start treating a ship to shore movement like as a like as an administrative uh, a ride in a, in a water taxi. You see what I'm saying? And that's where we were before because our that in the 80s, we were constantly trying to master this maneuver warfare, and everything was focused that way. Now we've got a leadership that's focused on, I don't know what, the commandant's got this bizarre reorganization thing. Maybe it makes sense if I knew what he knew. I, I don't understand it. We've got a secretary of defense who's looking for a bunch of deviant uh, uh, behavior from the, from the, from the, my, I don't know what he's looking for. This whole racist thing is, is confusing to me. And and I just got a feeling that a lot of this shit from on high has something to do with this performance down low. Because they're not focusing on what they're supposed to be. Commandant's supposed to be maintaining equilibrium and, and managing change in the organization, not injecting friction, constant friction into the forces, which is apparently, which is, from, my, from what I've seen, is the only thing he's done, is just inject friction. Let me... Let me help end this thing um, by asking some. Uh, we'll go around when I ask these questions and 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 give me a give me a concise answer. Um, where does Lieutenant Monday's investigation go? Well, uh, Lieutenant General Monday um, will know if it's good if it answers the questions about the Navy. Okay, Jeff. We'll know. Oh. Yeah, we'll know it's if it it's bad. If we just fire a general. Okay. Jeff, where does General Mon- Lieutenant General Monday's investigation go? I was hoping that uh, the reason they got somebody with the WASTA, General Monday, would be that he ha- he's got a big enough, you know, uh, footprint to shoulder his way into the corridors of the Navy down there in San Diego and find out what, you know, happened and impose upon them to give us some uh to give us an investigation that, like Colonel Fredrickson did on their end, you know. And uh, the other thing is, if um, you know, if there is if there is um, gross malfeasance in regards to uh, making sure that the mute commander had what he's by you know by direction supposed to have, then uh, there'd be you know, there'd be um, there'd be consequences for the lieutenant generals and major generals who didn't provide him with that. Okay. Timmy, uh, Lieutenant General Monday's investigation, where does that go? 
I'm a, I'm on a Nightingale will. It's got to go to the Navy side, and if all it ends all it ends up being is we're just going to fire a general, um, that's the worst thing that could could possibly happen. Because what I'm afraid of is you don't want to be the Marine Corps of the 1970s when guys who were considering themselves up and comers avoided command because they viewed command as nothing but a liability. There's, that that uh, those guys those damn Marines I I remember hearing it. From guys at West Point when we went up there with your package, Max, saying talking about yeah, you can't let those troops, uh, uh, we can't leave them unsupervised or ruin my career, kind of uh, attitude. That, yeah, that that guy Hooker was saying that. But yeah, at, that's, at any rate, the, that's right. You're right. Yeah. That's why they invented like the Leftwich Trophy. In that's exactly right. Is it to encourage people to to start taking command because you, what you don't want as a Marine Corps that like the 1970s where guys were actively refusing command. Because they didn't want the John exposure. Allen. John Allen and uh, Tom Sword, for that matter, were uh, company commanders as first lieutenants because, you know, a lot of company commanders, a lot of captains were avoiding that. That's exactly. Remember, they used to talk uh, tell us about that. That's where I know that from. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, so I, uh, I've heard. That's what I feel. I've heard that number's gone up in the Marine Corps. A refusing command? Yeah. Decl- yeah. Decl- Wasn't that like zero when Decl- we were. Uh, Declining command. I've, I've yeah. heard, I've, I, and I just heard that within the last month. Um, I, yeah, I'll Nightingale you both. You know, both. Um, to me, General, Lieutenant General Monday's investigation. Um, uh, you'll see. This is just my prediction. I don't know shit, but you'll see general officers uh, discipline, and you'll also see the Navy. You know, get drug into this. And um, I, I, to me, the other thing is, you ought to look at is. You know, our recommendation, the whole discipline piece, it's unacceptable. This is Marine Corps, man. If we're not disciplined, roll roll every set of colors up, fuck it, give it back. I mean, that's not the Marine Corps. Um, next next question um, is um, implications if you're a commanding officer or commanding general. Well, what are the implications? Um, well, I... I I hope it doesn't lead to this risk aversion. Um, what it what it should be is that the boss wraps up every brief, and part of your wrap up, you know, the boss always speaks last. Part of your wrap up is identifying friction points and risk, and ensuring that people understand what risk you're willing to take and the risk that you've identified, and you know, command climate can can have a bad taste in some people's mouth, but you got to have a climate where people are going to tell you the truth. Um, and uh, you know, the truth starts. It starts in the Marine Corps orders, unit SOPs, and those kinds of things. I mean, I, I think the greatest job and one of the greatest jobs you could ever have in the world is to be the CG of the First Marine Division. Now, the guy that would hate me if I was a CG would be the deputy CG and the chief of staff because they'd be stuck in the office the whole time. But that's what the CG of the 1st Marine Division should be doing all the time is there on site ensuring, supervising. After he's identified the risk and make sure that he's provided the resources. So, I mean... You know, being a commander is a great job. It, it should always be a great job. It shouldn't be a harder job because of this. It should be an easier job because of this. You should be liberated to do your job now 
and cut all that bullshit that people want to put on your calendar off. But we'll see. All right, Jeff. Yeah, a huge part of this is the uh, the uh, people breaking the deal that you're supposed to give me everything I'm supposed to have to be able to train effectively if I'm a new commander. And that goes for levels, all levels of command. So I'd say it's kind of it can be liberating for them now if they say, you know what, after this fucking thing happened, all these guys drown and it's so uh, avoidable, I'm going to f- make sure my people do it right. And something else I learned, and I learned this at IOC as an instructor, as a captain, you can force people to do hard, hard shit, and you don't have to call them motherfuckers when you're doing it. You let the, you let the, the uh, constraint do the ass whipping. You got to do this, and you got to do it in this amount of time with this amount of shit. And I really hope you succeed. <laughs> I already taught you the class, and I'm, but you know, you got to do it. You do that with your people, and you're doing them a favor. You know, you pat them on the back while they're doing it, but that's how you avoid that fucking pack order shit. And the other thing is, the flip side of that is with senior, you're, you've got, it, it's necessary no matter every level of command, you know, from captain all the way through battalion commander and all the way up, you're going to get gear. And what this does is allows you a quote to say, my gear isn't good enough and you're the, and it's your fault, sir, because you're supposed to do this for me. And the last guy who accepted shitty gear got fired because, or whatever, to say, I didn't have, I didn't get what I wanted. And if you don't give me what I need to do this thing safely, I'm going to tell somebody. You know, and uh, if these guys have the right, I know if I ever said that, it would shock the fuck out of people because my whole time in the Marine Corps has always been like, all right, this is what you're going to give me to do this. I'm assuming it's the best you can do, so I'm going to make do with it even though I knew in a lot of cases it wasn't. But you don't have to do that now. No one's going to say, this guy, uh, you know, uh, you know, he, he's, uh, you know, no one's going to have the, have the nads to say, this guy's a pussy because he's going, he's going to go swimming with AVs that are deadlined. Nobody is going to say that now. And I don't mean that just in the case of AVs. You know what I mean? Whether you're an LAV guy, whether you're a fucking, uh, you know, whether you're a, well, we don't have tanks anymore, but any kind of weapon systems and stuff you need, if they're unsafe and you're supposed to be getting ready to deploy, whether it be from you or anything else, you have the, uh, you got a leg to stand on now to get a little bit of WASTA. You get a little bit of influence and say, I rate this, I want it. And if you give it to me, I'm going to turn these guys into an effective force. Um, just a question. Why were we so the Amtrak platoon is training, and they have Amtraks? Why did they have to go to the boneyard to get more track? Why did they just take the tracks that were their tracks? Will, can you, Jeff, can you explain well, that to I'm me? I'm sure that they. I'm sure that they had tracks, and I'm sure that that from what I can. I have to go back and reread it, but I think that most of that battalion was upside down. Yeah. You know. Uh, so they had to go get yeah. more tracks from their boneyard and pull them out and then try to make them right? I think I they had understand. problems with amphibiosity. They had problems with the plenums and shit like that. They could run these things on land all day. Uh-huh. I mean, I was watching them all this afternoon, but uh, that's a little bit more, that's a dicier proposition. And maybe that's why they had to go cannibalize shit to get the necessary uh, stuff to put it in. And even then, they didn't really know what they were doing. 
I mean, one of the pro- findings of fact in this AV was not. O- I mean, not only were the fucking plugs in wrong, but I think one of the uh, one of the lights was in the wrong way, which yeah. which caused flood. You know, which caused a leakage and so. And the, the cooling tower was right. assembled properly, which I don't think is a crew issue. I think it's a, it's probably yeah. higher than first echelon maintenance. Um, yeah, there's there there are some severe. Well, there are some just simple questions to be asked. I'd love to see the, the third track's DERS report, right, the day before the chop mm-hmm. of the entire battalion and just see what they were reporting. Got it. All right. Timmy, um, your thoughts on what does this mean if you're a CO or, or a CG? <laughs> well, it could mean – Bad news. You know, it, it's, it, it seemed to me, my experience was, you could tell the quality of the CO by how the staff, how he treated the staff. You know, the kind of CO I wanted to work for was the kind of people that, was a kind of CO that did not empower his staff. And vice versa, the guys that you didn't want to have around were the guys who paid excessive amounts of attention to your staff. And so, what you don't want to, what, what you like to see is commanding generals who look upon their, their their ascension to command like Will does, like Dave did, as a matter of fact. This is great. I'm finally commanding an entire division. I'm going to make these guys do what they're supposed to do while I go and make sure that the Marines are doing what they're supposed to do. I don't see command in, in as – it seems that command's more constrained now. There's There is, again, there's just – I perceive – there's too much friction from too many directions coming at these guys, and um, and what you're going to end up with are commanders who pay a lot of attention to their staff, that take over command and do nothing but fire off messages. This is fucked up. That's fucked up. This is fucked up. That's fucked up. You ever work for a guy like that? All he ever, all the guy ever does is badmouth his predecessor and talk about all these uh, challenges he had to overcome in, in, in order to get, a, get out the door and deploy I don't know if you ever ran into that kind of individual. I did once. It's unpleasant. It's not fun to work with those kind of guys. And that's the kind of person you're going to end up breeding if you keep up, if, if you just, if it's, if, if the force feels that the release of these officers is arbitrary. And, uh, um, and, and that's, that's, that's the other, other side of the coin. I don't, I, I feel like the MU commander getting the cannon, this was an arbitrary decision. I don't, I don't, I don't yeah. see the connecting. I don't, I don't see the file connecting to him. I can see some files connecting to people seeing to him. And, um, but we'll have to see. But right, right now it appears that, uh, you get a certain, certain, you get a certain rank, you're home free. You can fuck up whatever you want. You're not going to get hurt. That's not right. That's not, that's not the Marine Corps way. I, um, to me, implication, if I was a CO, that's, uh, to me, I think it's going to be to, to look at those lists, to find a way to, to, to uh, dare I say, micromanage. I mean, that's the instinct is you've got to know more if you're going to be held accountable for this. But the truth is, you know, you have to, you have to create an environment for an organization that is brilliant in the basics and, and, and that your leaders are not afraid to tell you the truth. And if they can't go, they've got to be afraid. They, they got it. First of all, it shouldn't get to that point. Well before that, if they're, they're not on a glide path to be able to go, they should come to you and say, hey, we've got to back this up. 
I, you got to do something to help me. Okay, and you've got to create that environment. And if that's not the environment that, that we have leaders that are creating in the Marine Corps, then then that needs to be part of Joe Monday's investigation. What is contributing to these systemic failures? This not brilliant in the basics, failing to supervise it, and an environment that allows that to happen. So, to me, um, implications for if you're a commanding officer are you got to find a way to be good, and you got to find a way to to to, to affect that multi levels down. And 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 so that's an implication because you cannot ma- micromanage it. You have to inspire it. You have to supervise it by doing the things you can do. Yeah, if I could riff off that, Mac, I think one of the jobs of the CO is to make things simple. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and General Mattis, of all people, he made some things simple for you. You know, he told you, flat-ass rules and blah, blah, blah. Um, he didn't have a whole lot of them, but he made your job simple. And, and I was just thinking about, you know, what you were saying there is, you can't micromanage it. That is a recipe for complete failure. So how do you simplify it? Gentlemen, here is the box that you operate within. These are the red lines. Don't cross these red lines, whatever they might be. Uh, everything inside the box, you're going to own every piece of that. Um, and how do you, how do you, do that problem solving across the entire spectrum, not just tactical operations, but how you deal with people, how you how you do outside training, how you do all. You have to simplify things for people so that they can focus on those priorities. Because other, again, I, I said I read this investigation. This thing is massive and it's complicated, and it was only about all ships company and all the Marines, maybe three thousand people. Maybe 4,000, you know, compared to stuff that we've seen, it's not that big. But it was massive. How do you simplify that for your people so that they know what they're supposed to be focused on? And it can't be platitudinal kind of crap. Safety is the number one priority. Hey, thanks. That's really not very helpful. Yeah. You know? Right, right. No, and, again, I I had a chance to watch General Madison and, you know, his – his flat-ass rules, and the other thing he, you knew with certainty that if you weren't doing your shit, he'd fire you. You know, and and I think that's a part. So to me, um, you know, finding a way to get brilliant in the basics is absolutely important. Finding a way so that we do feel day and somebody does inspect it, and that we do it by the fucking numbers, and that's the way we do it. And when there's an excuse for every reason why we, well, we don't really field day anymore. We just do kind of a general cleanup. Oh, that must be the reason the barracks looks like shit then, huh? Yeah. Right? I mean, and, and there's no secret to it, right? Text. The form, instead of formations, they got mass text. Right. And so, so to me, there's a reason for it. There's a reason <laughs> so that weird. shit happens. So, you know, you got to find a way to be brilliant. Basically, relative to general officers, um, again, I, I, this this goes back to Abu Ghraib, you know, and and you get relatively low ranking officers taking blame for these things that never never nick a general officer, and I just to me, I, I don't understand that, right? Mm-hmm. That that nine nine human beings, eight Marines and a sailor are dead, and no general officer 
gets implicated in it. Somebody owned them. And and, well, I think, and, on, and on top of that, their families are massively pissed off because they've been kept in the dark and fed bullshit. Well, again, but it's, but it's, in my opinion... That's huge. That's huge. How the hell does that happen? Right. But again, my opinion, irrelevant, right? To, to the general officer piece, anyway. If you owned them, you're supposed to own all of them. And all of a sudden, you get to wash your hands of it? Uh, that That's... I don't know. I don't know how we got there in the Marine Corps. Um... um all right, we beat this up um, fair amount. Any final thought, Will? Um, yeah, I just I, I don't want another layer of bureaucracy, right? This these problems are solvable by the things that we know that you're supposed to do, and adding another ORM type of thing on top of it. All that is is a capitulation to the fact that, or it's a, it's a capitulation or a recognition of the fact that we just don't have good enough people. And I don't believe that. Um, but we know how to do all this stuff at the technical, tactical leadership level. You have to do those things. And that was the joy of the job. You know, yep. Any active duty people that listen to this, when you get to the civilian world, you're never going to have that in the civilian world. Mm-hmm. You know, the joy of actually being in charge and being accountable like that. So that's what that's what we need to be able to do. I just I feel that the bureaucracy is going to spit out something stupid and confining that actually doesn't answer all the questions. Right. It only asks it answers a question. But so what? You need to be able to answer all of them. The only way, good people who live the job. Jeff, your thoughts, uh, final thoughts on uh, on all of this discussion. Well, I think um, we move on. We move on because uh, they got fish to fry. I mean, they don't have time to fuck around with this thing anymore. And, uh, I, I, you know, the uh, the investigation that General Mundy does, his his recommendations and findings of fact should be published, and uh, you know should be taken to uh, to heart. But uh, you know, I see them; they're out there swimming. Uh, hopefully, they're swimming right now, even though it's dark. You know, <laughs> hopefully they're uh, you know they're they're diving back into it because we still got those AVs for a few more years, and uh, it's still the surest way of getting a lot of guys to the shore. So we we, we can't just say fuck it. You know, we got to keep going. Timmy, final thoughts. Yeah, the, uh, the, these investigations that we've kicked around, this one and, and, and the other ones that you, that you mentioned, are symptoms of an organization that's experiencing some significant stress. And I don't know how much of that stress is self-imposed stress by reorganizations for whatever reason we're reorganizing. I don't know how much of it is unnecessary and unwanted requirements coming on from on high. There's too much stress being put on this thing. There's too much friction in, in, in the core right now, and somebody needs to look at reducing that and focus, this, focus us on what we're supposed to do, which was be the nation's force in readiness, and the only force in readiness by design. And I, I, I feel that we've lost our way from there, and we're not, uh, we're, we're not focused. We're diffuse in our attentions, and different things are priorities that ought not be. 
I would say that, um, again, the Marine Corps gets, I think, the best human capital in the DOD. I mean, the Marines are fantastic. And um, what you're watching in the Marine Corps, I think, is an organization in decline. And I think we've talked about, you know, things we'd like to see General Monday investigate. And and, and it's not the Marines. Leaders got to lead. Leaders got to read orders. Leaders got to supervise. Leaders got to stand up and say, yeah, we can't do that. First Lieutenant Costantini did that, right? Somebody might get pissed at you, but you got to have, I mean, that's what being a leader is. And I don't know if, we, if, if we've lost that, if we don't have a culture that's tough enough anymore to do that. It is symptomatic of a, of a institution in the DOD that is, in, in my opinion, is in decline as well with aspirations to take on the Chinese and the Russians. Let me just tell you, boys and girls, good fucking luck, because you got to get out there and you got to you got to you got to kick its ass every day, and it starts with stupid shit like field day. It starts with stupid shit like making sure that every day when you come to work, that place is clean. It's the self discipline that goes into that. To hold people accountable, and it starts with that chicken shit that prepares you to to apply those standards in every fucking thing you do. All right, but when you can't do that shit, good luck on the hard stuff. And and again, I I, I would and I, I say that broadening the lens. I look at the McCain, look at the Fitzgerald, look at the F eighteen KC one thirty, look at the Amtrak going down off the East Coast. Look at this, all symptomatic, all symptoms of the same problem. And and so, to me, it's the time to look inward. What is wrong with the culture that keeps producing this? So I, I just want to thank you guys again for uh, for doing this. I know a lot a lot of people listen to this stuff. And I know because uh, they reach out, I, I forward you some of the stuff they send. But uh, nobody's taken a harder, you know, look at this and, and tried to, to, to be honest about it, which I think we all take pretty seriously. So I just want to thank all you guys for... Uh, for for doing this stuff, so thank you. Ah, no worries. All right, and now the favorite part of this. Uh, what are you reading, Jeff? You can go first. Since I'm reading uh, this book on Antifa by Andy Go, um, oh. which is very good. I'm just about done with it. It's uh, I'm not sure how you pronounce his name. He's a Vietnamese American. N G O is how he's. Is, yeah, I think the end silent. No, Nguyen, Ngo, uh, but he's the guy who got the shit beat out of him, right? Got hit in yes, the brick yes. with the head, hit in the head with a brick. Yeah, he uh, he gets uh, brain damage or brain bleed, you know, uh, from that beaten up by these Antifa people. It was surprising to me because uh, they're highly organized and uh, like if you join Antifa. You, uh, I don't want to spend, you know, waste other people's time, but uh, you join Antifa, uh, they vet you. It takes a couple months to where they bring you in, and uh, you're being vetted for at least uh, eight or nine months, really, before they actually let you get out there and uh, be a trusted agent. And they have, uh, when these people show up and do this stuff, there's usually a couple, uh, at the most, I think, a couple dozen no shit, hardcore Antifa people, and uh, they go to a place where there's already like a crowd, either a crowd of observers or a crowd that's like kind of mildly, uh, you know, interested in something. And the and the the uh, the place you can see this in this natural habitat is Portland because it's there every night. And what they do is uh, they've uh, they have like another group that does nothing but feed them and give them uh, you know hydration. Another group that 
is the legal arm. If they when they get arrested, it's there with bail money and so forth. And uh, you know they, uh, it's just really uh, it's kind of insidious. The good news is they really have no plan except destruction. They are they're the descendants. At Antifa, the first time that word came up, it was the communists in 1932 in Germany who opposed uh, the Social Democrats, and of course they opposed the Nazis. But the interesting thing in, in this book, you read the history, is that the the, the communists and the Nazis weren't as uh, you know adverse to each other as they were both to the Social Democrats. And when the Nazis finally gained control, both of them, both the com- the Antifa communists and the Nazis, their intention as soon as they gained power was to do away with free elections. And, uh, of course, the Nazis did that. And most of these guys just kind of melted into the German army, you know, the armed services, fought the war. But when they really came to the fore was when the, the Soviets took over East Germany. These are the guys who were the Stasi people. These were the guys who ran the East German uh you know, uh, espionage outfits and so forth. They're the authors of the, if you guys remember the Beider Meinhof group uh, and the uh, Red, you know, the Red Brigades and so forth. They, they, uh, farmed some of their people out to help the Palestinian terrorists. As a matter of fact, at Antebi, two of the killed were German terrorists. You know, Antebi, when, uh, uh, not Netanyahu's older brother led that raid, he's also the only KIA the Israelis had. But so, that's what these guys come from. And uh, most of them come straight out of the fucking colleges. That's where they, uh, that's where they get, you know, tenderizing this stuff. And uh, the other interesting thing I found out is they're not any, they're not very much more uh, enamored of the Democrats than they are the Republicans. They mean everything to go down. And they're being used right now mostly by the, uh, you know, Democratic Party. But uh, these guys, uh, you know, they're, uh, the only good thing about it is they have no plan, you know, other than break everything to pieces and start over. But most of these, I think you're going to see riots tonight since this thing happened. When you do, it's going to be Antifa and BLM because those guys are, uh, they're not, it's not just a purely racial thing either. Matter of fact, most of them on both sides are white. It's, uh, you know, this is uh, pure um Marxist revolutionaries. Uh, all right, Timmy, what are you reading? Well, I, I can't do what Jeff did. I started reading Ship of Fools, and I, I get too agitated, so I had to I had to go to something that was going to calm it. So I went and busted out my favorite, the uh, Lonesome Dove. I started reading Lonesome Dove again because it's just calming and it's pleasant, and you can lose yourself for a couple hours in a good story. Yep. Yeah, that's a it's the best western ever, and uh, I and I. I mean it because I'm just, I find myself agitated. I, I, I get angry at the news. I get angry. I, I get, I'm getting too excited just, just reading what the hell's happening. And uh, it's not helping out my grades either because I'm combative in sociology class, particularly when discovering, discussing uh, gender queer theories and things like that, which I don't have any idea what the hell they're talking about. Well, how about you? What are you reading? Uh, I finished uh, Toll's book, Six Frigates, Founding of the Navy. Phenomenal book. Highly recommended. And then I read this week, uh, Victor Davis Hanson wrote a book many years ago called The Western Way of War. And it's he does a analysis of the Greek phalanx 
fighting, from the micro-tactical individual to why they did things that way, uh, what it means, and what happened when they got away from it. And it's, uh, it's, it's really, it's very good. Uh, you know, basically the Greeks, uh, prior to the Persian invasion for the most part, um, you know, someone would evade someone else, they their phalanxes would meet out in an open field and they'd settle it in one day. And typically the winners would take about 5% casualties and the losers would take 15 or 20% casualties and that was it. They all agreed the winner won, so we're going to do what the winner said. So it's really, it's quite interesting. And they, he takes that into, you know, once we got specialized in warfare, how it actually leads to a hell of a lot more destruction. Mm-hmm. So after I read that, I had a book on my shelf called The Father of Us All, another Victor Davis Hanson. Mm-hmm. It's about uh, war history, military history, and I, it's really a collection of different articles that he did. Um, you know, the problem when you read them is just it makes you want to cry. You know, the answers are all there. Mm-hmm. You know? And he writes so well. There. No, no reason to learn anything new. We just don't know what we should know. Um, so, uh, but any of his stuff, he's just such a good writer. Uh, it can translate that classical thinking into the modern day so well. So, yeah, that's what I got. I'm not reading anything. I'm getting ready to go to Hawaii. <laughs> no excuse. You got like a six-hour flight. No, you I'll should read James Michener's Hawaii. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll read on the way over, but uh, I'll tell you what I'm excited about. I didn't. Um, this is kind of stupid. Um, born on December seventh, right? My birthday. So I've always been a uh, 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 interested in Pearl Harbor. Never been. Never set foot in Hawaii. I've been by it like on a ship like four different times, uh, and it looks green. But I never got off the ship and was able to go. Um, so I'm going to Joint Base Pearl Harbor Hickam. So. I had to give an address last night because you have to register with the state of Hawaii and show that you've had a COVID test so you don't have to go into 10 days of quarantine. So I'm in the process of doing that. I, I, I get the BOQ um, address at Hickam, uh, Pearl Harbor Hickam. But I don't really know. where. I thought Hickam was like maybe 10 miles inland or something. I, I had no idea, right? So I look on a, I, I look up the address, and then it's, the Google shows me the map on off to the side. Click on that. I'm like, holy shit, who knew Hickam was, like, right there? And so I'm fucking geeked, okay, because I've never been there, and I'm going to teach, like, post-traumatic winning, I don't know, three or four times over the course of three days at Pearl Hickam. And so now I get Google Earth out, and I'm looking, and, you know, they still have the historical hangars that were all blown up and shit, you know, and, and I was talking to somebody today, and they said, oh, yeah, you know, anything that has a bullet bullet mark in it is a historical monument now, and you can't do anything with that stuff. Um, but, yeah, it's uh, – and, and they said, if you play your cards right back, we could give some pretty decent tours to people we like. I said, what's not to like about me? I mean, come on. I love – I want to go on that tour. How do I do it? And uh, But I'm excited, you know, because I've never been, you know, and, and I had a great uncle – um, that was killed uh, on a destroyer off the uh, western coast of Okinawa. They hit a mine, and he was a gunnery officer. Was killed. He's, his name's etched in the punch bowl. 
Um, so get get a chance to go see the Punch Bowl. But things I've never seen, uh, and you know Pearl Harbor, uh, one of them. So I'm uh, I'm kind of geeked to uh, to go see Hawaii. I get to go two more times too. So hey, I have what you did, Mac. What's that? This is important. I have to ask you this, and it doesn't have anything to do with Pearl Harbor, but. In order to avoid what Timmy was talking about, the depression over the horrific news we see every day, mm-hmm. Lori and I have decided to watch Game of Thrones, a.k.a. Game of Boners. That's what I call it. And uh, so we already saw it. So I'm watching this thing. And you know how you fast forward through the credits? And there's this credit I saw twice, but I couldn't get back and find it. And it's the guy's name. He's like an extra or a, a stuntman or something. But his name is Dingus McNamara. No, re- no relation. Uh, just, to, just to the record. Actually, P. Mac. He might be a, a uh, like no. a consultant or something. No. No. And he goes by the nom de voix, exactly. Dingus McNamara. Yeah. <laughs> like a, another branch of the family. Like the yeah, RC we're also proud of that He's name right. because Robert, right. Mac, Robert McNamara covered it in glory, right? <laughs> Yeah. That's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a call sign right there, man. And it's not D-I. It's D-E-N-G-A-S. Dengus McNamara. That's Chinese, isn't it? <laughs> it's, I think it's Northern Ireland, because that's oh. where they did most of the fucking shit there for it. No, no. So I know you know this guy. You just <laughs> pretend to know it, because you're ashamed of him. It's all right. I wish. Well, you were going to say something? Yeah, when you go to the Punch Bowl, don't go during rush hour. It'll take you three hours to get there. Really, worst yeah. traffic in the world. But it's it's. Uh, where is the Where is the Punch Bowl? I don't even know where it is. It's down towards Waikiki. Have you um Have you guys all been to Pearl Harbor? Yes. Yeah. yeah. I, I didn't go to Arizona, but I've been to Pearl Harbor. Yeah, it's neat. The Arizona is a neat thing to see. Yeah, it is. Yeah. So where so the Punch Bowl is? It's uh, if you go uh, east from. Pearl, you go through sort of Honolulu, and uh, before you get to Waikiki, it's a little bit inland. Got it. Got it. All right. Is it? it it's the National Cemetery. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Got it. Yeah, I All got right. one guy there. What? Yeah, I got one guy buried there. So I used to go. One I was in Hawaii a couple times. One of your Marines. Yeah. Yeah. Blake Magway was. Uh, He's killed in action on about November. Uh, it was right after Thanksgiving in Fallujah. Three purple, three purple hearts in ten days. <laughs> yeah, you know what? I mean, there's a Leftwich Street uh, at Pearl Harbor, Cushing Street. Um, uh, no, nah, I won't even say that. Um, all right, guys. Thank you very much. All right. Yeah. That'll do it. More of Almering Radio coming up next, right here on your home for it, the All Warrior Radio Network.